All right. How you doing? How's it going? This is the first uh, Q&A episode. I, I've never done something like this before, but you know what? Every so often I get uh, random texts or like Instagram messages or just people that have a, a question. They send it to me. And sometimes I'll, I'll respond back. Um, well, I always respond back, but not always right away because these questions are really big, but I love talking about theology and philosophy and Bible and church and culture and actually a lot of things. So what I've always enjoyed doing was not giving the usual answer that you would expect, in part because I personally get bored with the same old answers and that I've always heard. So let's see if we can do this. We got just a few questions this time, but man, they're, they're pretty dense. All right. They're pretty good. So there's kind of three main ones. Anyways, let's see. First up, <laughs> we got some questions from my buddy, Kev. Kevin asked this question. Post-resurrection bodies, what's up with them? What do you think they'll be like? Jesus has the holes but can't be recognized, eats fish, and teleports through walls. <laughs> so that was a good one. All right, Kev, let's see if we can give a good response. Um, the episode that he's talking about right there is most likely, he has in mind probably John's gospel, John chapter 20, where... Jesus shows up to all the apostles, but leaves out Thomas because Thomas wasn't there. And they all run to Thomas like, hey, we saw, the res we saw the resurrected Jesus. And then Thomas feels left out and he like throws sour grapes. Apparently that's the actual defense mechanism term. Sour grapes. Like, well, well, I don't believe it unless I see the wounds. Anyways, Jesus shows up and shows him his hands and the hole in the side and then Thomas turns and says, my Lord and my God. Okay. If that's the passage that you have in mind, Kev, what I think we need to ask is, Jesus has the holes but can't be recognized. That's right. Well, I think a lot of us, when we think about heaven or we think about the resurrection, whatever we think we mean by that, that we'll have completely different bodies. But Jesus still has the wounds, and we tend to think that if something's redeemed, it won't have any wounds or scars. Like, your body will be as pristine as the Greek statues of all these ripped Greek gods. You know what I mean? But there's something to be said for the fact that if Jesus still had his wounds, should we expect to still have the scars from certain episodes of our lives. And well, I can't say anything for certain, but you know what? It, it kind of makes sense if we do, because that was a part of our history. That was a part of our own lifetime. That was a part of a moment that shaped us. And there might be some scars that some of us want to have to keep. And there might be some scars that some of us don't want. Well, at least for the resurrected Jesus in that story in John 20, he at least has shalom with the, even his own wounds, with his own scars. And so a good question is, if we do have these 
amazing resurrection bodies, do you want it to look like the Greek gods? Because that's not really you. Or do you want a body that you're actually fully in shalom with? Now, there's also something to be said that our wounds, we may not want to, to do away with them too quickly, our scars. Because like Henry Nouwen says, our wounds can become some of the greatest healing channels by which we heal other parts of the world. So actually there could be some of our wounds that we didn't cause ourselves but maybe happened to us which are always tragic and traumatic but somehow maybe they actually had a purpose not necessarily that was good for itself sake but you know maybe healing came to the world through your wounds and that's a part of your story so I, when I think about the resurrection body whatever that might be like if that's really what's going to happen it has very little to do with looking like Greek gods and having six-pack abs and giant biceps to be able to do like 350 back squats, you know. But maybe it means having a body that you're actually fully in shalom with. And, sh and by shalom, uh, it's a uh, harmony. You have a right relationship with all parts of it. And let's be honest, like a lot of us have self-doubts and, and we are embarrassed by our own bodies. But what does it look like? to be in shalom with that. Isn't that interesting? That was a good question, Kevin. But he also says, uh, Jesus can't be recognized. He eats fish and teleports through walls. Well, if Jesus eats fish after he's resurrected, it kind of tells us, one, he's not a ghost, and two, eating is a redeemed thing. So maybe we should reevaluate the way we uh, relate to eating. You feel me? Maybe eating can be mm, celebration. Maybe eating can be redemptive in its own way. Maybe eating is actually something heavenly, not just earthly. Wow. I don't know if we got anywhere close to answering your question, Kev, but hopefully that was pretty fun for you. Uh, but then another guy, Joseph. What's up? He said that he liked that question too. But then his question is, uh, I like that last one a lot. And what is heaven in general? <laughs> wow. Okay. What is heaven in general? Uh, okay. Well, there's, there's a few ways we could think about heaven. The first could be that it's a state of being. Heaven is not necessarily a place far away, but it can be the way that you live your life now. There are some uh, Catholic theologians that have really written some interesting things about this. And it, it kind of comes down to this idea that Jesus says throughout, throughout a lot of his ministry that the kingdom of heaven is near or the kingdom of heaven is among you. So actually heaven may not be somewhere else, but actually could be something that happens here in the midst of community, especially among community that's living in shalom, in the midst of community that is earnestly trying to live in love well and deeply and truly. So heaven can be a state of being here and now. It can be in our own communities. But we've really got to move away from 
this platonic uh, from from Plato and Greek philosophy that says this earth here is the concrete, right? But up there, heaven is the ideal or the idea of which we're all looking forward to and that down here is absolute trash compared to that. Well, in the end of the Bible, heaven comes down. The new heaven descends and it merges with the new Jerusalem, with the new earth. And so what we even have at the very last chapters of the Bible is actually not an escape of us leaving this place to go somewhere else, but it's the same thing with the incarnation. It's Jesus leaving up there and merging with down here so that down here is like a, a synthesis or a hybrid of heaven and earth at the same time. So what was the first one? Uh, I said heaven could be a state of being. Uh, heaven is descending. But I think, I think it's Julian of Norwich, who was an English theologian, the first female published theologian. Uh, it's in this little, she was in this little town and kind of like northeast of London. Um, I mean, it's a couple hours away from London, but northeast of London. And she said that for those going to hell, it's hell all the way. Wow. But for those going to heaven, it's heaven all the way. And so maybe that's a state of being, maybe that's something else, but there's something to that, that heaven, heaven can start now. Uh, heaven doesn't have to be an afterlife thing. In fact, one of the, their great questions is not, is there life after death? But the, the real practical question that even our Jewish brothers and sisters ask is, is it possible to have a life before death? Because a lot of us have the ability to go through life without ever actually living before we die. And so maybe heaven, actually, we should be asking, how do we not raise hell, but how do we lower heaven faster? Maybe we should see heaven as something that's possible as a life before death, you know. I'm not <laughs> negating that it could happen after that as well. That's not what I mean. But the whole thing behind the Christian philosophy or theology is that heaven descends early. I like that. So that was, uh, that was Joseph. Thanks, bud. I'm not sure if that one answered your questions, but last one was a good one. Um, and this person asked to be kept anonymous, which is totally fine. Uh, let me find it. There we go. So this person, listen to my five stages of conflict podcast episode. So I do a podcast called Ambushes, play off of a nickname I had. Uh, but I did one on the five stages of how conflict rises or escalates and then how Jesus probably responds or did respond to each of those. Uh, this person asks, how can we, how could we problematize the binary of no violence equals good slash Jesus's way and violence equals bad 
or is it the non-Jesus way? So the question is, um, is no violence always good? And is violence always bad? was kind of her question. When is violence or destruction godly? Can it be? That's a good question. What if to be a troublemaker includes the task of creating holy violence? Wow, this was a good one. Uh, This person then referenced some other author, and I said in reply, without having read that author, my first thought is this, that if violence is still the answer that we think is best, then we still aren't being creative enough. There's always a third option after wanting to either give up or thinking that violence is what's best. And then I said, Jesus picked up a whip, but never a sword. I think there's something to that. Yeah. You see, um, it certainly seems possible to um, fall into this idea that the peaceable way of doing things is always the best. And that there are other people that might think that violence is the only best thing to do. Okay. Well, it kind of comes down to, in my understanding, the gospel always demands of us to have a creative third option. So we, we tend to organize ideas and binaries in opposite either or thoughts. Um, it's called binary oppositional thinking by who, who wrote about that? I forget. Mm, I should remember. I wrote a paper on it. But binary oppositional thinking is like the main operating system of how we organize ideas and thoughts and even morality. What we have to do, though, as we mature is start to realize that the world is not black and white. We need to, to rise above this like flat line of this or that and realize that there could be a third option that kind of like incorporates but rises above that either or distinction. So, I mean, Jesus had a whip, but he used it like a farming tool to herd animals and people out. You could say that's violent, but you know what? Jesus never actually picked up a sword and cut off anyone's ear, which is what Peter did towards the, on the night when Jesus was arrested. And he told that guy, Peter, to put down the sword, don't cut off people's ears, don't fight in that way. So in some sense, you could say Jesus was actually very much against bloodshed. But he did seem to get forceful when he started flipping tables over. But you know what? Um, Disrespecting property is not exactly the same thing as causing violence to a human being. And one of the things we've always got to realize and, and maybe keep in the back of our mind is that in the Old Testament, yeah, we're going there, uh, God met people in the tabernacle, which was a fancy tent in the desert. And then the tent turned into a temple, right? And then there was a few variations of that temple in Jerusalem where God would meet people there. But then in Jesus's time, Jesus says, you, and then Paul, the apostle, picks this up, you are the temple. And so what we have was like rising or escalating temples where it went from tent 
to building, to people. And a lot of us still tend to think that property or buildings are the most holy and most valuable things in the world. We're actually, according to Christian theology, uh, buildings and property are not as important as humans, as people. You know, so we've got to ask the question, uh, is the violence being done against property or against people? Because one of those two, if you have to do an either or, you have to say that Jesus would always be against violence to a person. And you can say that because in the crucifixion, uh, Jesus didn't fight back. And even when he was being crucified, there's a famous line where Jesus says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Jesus seems to have pity on people that enact violence to try to make their cause happen. And what Jesus does, at least in the crucifixion, is the people that sought to kill him thought they were winning. They thought that violence was the way to make their cause happen. But by him doing the, the nonviolent response to being scapegoated, which he was, he roundabout did two things. One, he showed to like the fullest extent that he was innocent and that he was not going to give in to the trap of violence. But then two, by doing that, he actually exposed who was the real people that were committing the violence. The same thing happened on the bridge walk in Selma. When civil rights activists walk across that bridge to be beaten on the other side. You can probably guess that a lot of those uh, racist policemen, and I guess there might have been some civilians there as well, they probably went home thinking that they found the way to crush their opposition through violence. But the cameras were on them. And the rest of the world started to see what was happening. And what they ended up seeing was that, you know what? The nonviolent people, their cause had greater strength because they were rising above hatred and racism and they were using the energy of love. So would Jesus be in favor of violence? Probably not. But ever since Christianity was legalized, in like 316, 317 by Constantine, what we have is this odd uh, tension with wanting to make Christianity powerful with its own fixation with power. And it's fascinating because for the first three centuries of the church, nonviolence was the only way of being Christian. And then along the way, we started to have other thoughts that maybe violence is acceptable. And maybe at another point, somebody might ask a question about just war theory and what is that? Is it okay to have preemptive war? What do you do with Hitler, right? What do you do with Stalin or Mao Zedong? Not, no, yeah, Mao. So we've got a lot of other questions. And that's one of the things I, I was hoping to do with some of these is, yes, it's great to get uh, good Q&A. And I could try to give an answer, but Really, the best answers actually lead you to, to deeper and better questions. 
good answers don't settle the discussion. Good answers actually like cause it to pick up some inertia and make it even more meaningful. So hopefully in the midst of this, we've actually had some answers that lead you to have more questions, right? So if you want to think about resurrection body, go read something by Thomas Torrance about time, space, and uh, resurrection. That one's an interesting one. Probably one of the best books I've read on resurrection. Um, you could probably check out, what about heaven? Uh, the Day the Revolution Began by N.T. Wright, or you could probably, for this last one, uh, Is There Ever a Time When Violence is Acceptable to Cause Change? I would encourage you to read anything from Shane Claiborne, right? Read uh, The Politics of Jesus by Yoder. And let's think, who else? I'm looking up at my bookshelf. I mean, you can't go wrong by looking at the life of St. Francis. What would he do? Because a lot of people think that St. Francis was the best version of a Christ follower that has ever been. So maybe you could check that out. All right. So this was fun. Let's see if we can do another one uh, next month. And yeah, if you have any questions, uh, feel free. Send them to me on Twitter or on Instagram at that John Chafee, or go to this YouTube, uh, just type in my name there and it'll come up. And you can also send something to my email, which I'll put in the comments to this. All right. So thanks. And uh, this seems fun. Let's do it on the 15th of every month. Send me some questions ahead of time and then we'll answer them. Or at least we'll come up with confusing paradoxes, all right? that lead us into better questions. So this has been fun. Uh, thank you for checking it out and yeah, grace and peace.